0: So here in Pastor Peter 2 we're reading uh, of course the words of, of Peter and you remember when just before the uh, the denials the Lord Jesus had said to him Peter when you are converted strengthen your brethren and what we're reading him doing here in, in Peter in, in his letters is doing just that, strengthening his brethren when the Lord said that Peter was about to uh, deny him and you remember Peter sort of was shocked, I think, when the Lord said that when you're converted, strengthen your brethren, because he would have said, "Well, but I am a convert; I'm already converted." Of course, the point being that there were steps up the up the ladder of conversion, that are different levels to to conversion, as I guess we've all found in uh, in our own lives. So then Jesus said, "When you're converted, strengthen your brethren," and he goes out and denies Jesus and. Uh, and then, what does he do? He goes to the cross. Why I suggest that is because here in First Peter in chapter five, verse one, he talks about himself as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, so he was there at the uh, at the cross. It seems to me, so then, after he denied the Lord, he went to the cross and I presume uh, concealed himself in the crowd and actually saw the end and It was that which brought him to that conversion, and so when the Lord uh, appears to him after the resurrection, you remember he uh, He says to him three times, feed my sheep um, and he says that next to a, a charcoal fire, and it's interesting that uh, the record stresses it was a charcoal fire, because that's exactly where Peter had denied the Lord three times and so uh, that was also by a a charcoal fire and so the three denials are undone as it were by the three uh, commissions to go and feed the sheep and as I say what we're reading here in Peter's letters is him uh, in his maturity doing just that feeding the sheep, strengthening his brethren uh, just as the Lord had said he would do but the Lord had said that he would do that on the basis of him being converted and it seems to me that it was his, his failure, which uh, his denial of the Lord, which is what uh, brought him to that position whereby he could do this. And so reading through these letters of, of Peter, it seems that almost every verse of every other verse, he's making some allusion either to the cross of Jesus or subtly or not so subtly, consciously or unconsciously, some reference to his own failure. Maybe one of the clearest examples would be in in of Peter, um, when in chapter 2, where he talks about the danger of false prophets. And he talks about how terrible these people are. And he says, they even deny the Lord that bought them. They even do that. Now... that's uh, chapter 2 verse 1, even denying the Lord that bought them. Well, who denied the Lord that bought him? I mean, it was Peter. And he says they even do that, as if that is the worst possible thing that, that you could possibly do. And so, all the way through, Peter is alluding to his own failure, all the way through. And I think that's why God used him so much, Uh, I'm sorry about the terrible uh, flu I've got at the moment (laughs) Um, when the Lord says uh, to him that you are Peter and on this rock I I will build my church uh, it seems that we've gone too far in rejecting the uh, Roman Catholic view of Peter because I think it's pretty obvious that Jesus was talking about Peter personally because he gives him this new nickname uh, Peter or, or Rocky Uh, We might dynamically translate it. And it was on Peter, the rock, the the one counted as, as a rock, although he was so weak in so many ways, that the Lord Jesus built his church. Quite clearly, Peter was the one who was used to convert those thousands of people standing a stone's throw really from where he had actually denied the Lord the whole of Jerusalem knew what had happened 40 days before that or whatever that he had uh, denied uh, knowing Jesus and we can be sure that the the maid who as it were busted him uh, would have been as it were in the tabloids for a, a day or so uh, and would have would have loved all the attention and the stories that had gone round. And I mean, we know what actually happened, but you know, who knows how that was exaggerated and what it was gossiped into. But anyway, Peter, all the same, um, <clears throat> was the one used by God uh, to do the greatest preaching of of all time. To to be able to stand there and 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 preach. And again, if you analyse his 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 recorded text there in Acts two. Uh, he 's alluding all the time to his own his own failures um, subtly, but he is um, and it 's on that basis that he converts all those people, and he quite clearly becomes the leader of the early church there 's no no doubt about that um, that that he was Roman Catholic um, perversion of all that notwithstanding he clearly was. And so the very one who publicly failed the Lord, uh, who denied him, um, of course they all denied him and fled and all the rest of it, but but the one whose failure was made particularly public, uh, was the very one that the Lord Jesus used. Now, he also wants to use each and every one of us. Uh, And this is not only a a kind of exhortation to to, to those who... um, who, who want to stand up and, and do great things uh, as it were, public things um, but th- th- this is an exhortation to every single one of us because the Lord Jesus wants to use us uh, and we should want to be used by him uh, but he will only be able to do that if we have got the motivation of of Peter so then <coughs> going through uh, of Peter 2 uh, as I say, almost every verse or every other verse, he's alluding either to the cross or to his own failure and how uh, he had been forgiven. And whoever we are, <coughs> <coughs> sorry, uh, whoever we are, whatever context we're living out our lives, these should be the the same two things that are motivating us all the time. And if we take nothing more away from this study than that, that I must be filled with a sense of my own forgiveness. Not just your own failure, but but my own forgiveness. That's more to the point. Uh, And filled with a sense uh, of the fact that he died for me. He really did. You know, 2,000 years ago on a hill outside Jerusalem, on a day in April, on a Friday afternoon, he did this for me. Um... Though that should be beating there in our brain and our heart, just as it was for for Peter. Okay, so let's uh, let's quickly go through this just this chapter. You could do it with the whole all his letters, but uh, as we're reading chapter two, let's um, let's go through here, uh, verse one. He says to the, these brethren, lay aside all hypocrisies. Uh, if you're scribbling notes in your margin, you might later put down there Galatians 2.13 where we're told that Peter was carried away with the hypocrisy or dissimulation, King James says. Peter was carried away with the hypocrisy of the uh, Judaizing brethren. Uh, it's the same, same Greek word. So he's asking them to do what he himself had failed to do. He had been carried away with a spirit of hypocrisy, not breaking bread with Gentile brethren because the Jewish brethren said, you mustn't break bread with them. And he realized that that was hypocrisy and he was rebuked by Paul for being a hypocrite, um, showing, uh, given the impression of one group of brethren that he, he agreed with something or other, when he didn't, and it was wrong to be exclusive uh, of other brethren. Um, and he... Uh, he He's carried away with that hypocrisy. A hypocrisy, by its nature, as The Lord said, "Is uh, is like a yeast. It spreads. Once once it starts, we all tend to follow suit." My, my point simply is that uh, Peter is alluding to that and saying, "Look, put away all hypocrisies." Yes, I know. I was such a hypocrite over all that uh, business there with um, with the Gentile brethren. I know. He, he says, "Verse two as newborn babes long for the uh, sincere milk of the word now the same word translated babes there occurs in uh, Luke 18 verse 15 Uh, it's translated infants there were infants who were brought to, to Jesus and what does it say Peter rebuked them, he rebuked those who brought them we don't want kids around here. This is not a place for babies. This is like a man's world. This is not a place for women and babies, and kids, kiddies. And the Lord responds, Luke 18, verse 17, by telling Peter that unless you become like a child, unless you become like one of those infants, you will not enter into the kingdom. And so Peter says, now let's be babies. Let's be little infants. Now I think that's beautiful, that he really did... Learn the lesson He really did Uh, Chapter 2 verse uh, verse 12 The day of visitation is coming He's talking about the day of judgment That we may glorify God On the day of visitation Same word or related word uh, In Luke 22 verse 61 That at the um, second denial when Peter denies Jesus Christ turned and looked upon Peter this is the same word the day of being looked upon it's as if he's saying yes I remember that look when I denied the Lord and he turned and looked upon me that was like day of judgment that was what it was like um he had been to the day of judgment and as it were been condemned and incidentally when we're told that uh, Peter, Peter cursed I don't think it means that he used like, what we would call bad language um, he called down divine curses upon himself if he had known Jesus of Nazareth uh, a typical Jewish uh, curse would have been may I be condemned at the last day if whatever if, in this case, if I ever knew Jesus of Nazareth. Or if I was ever on his side. And so, there was a day of judgment for Peter that he came to and was condemned. And yet the wonderful thing about, uh, of course, things like that happening in this life is that he could repent and, uh, and be forgiven. And that's, of course, what happened. And so, he says that that day of visitation, that day of being looked upon, is going to come when when the Lord Jesus comes back. But you know he, he's talking about that with such reference to, to his own being looked upon by by Jesus. And incidentally, uh, in that same verse, verse twelve, he says they speak against you as evil doers. Well, the only other time that word occurs outside Peter, and Peter uses that Greek word translated evil doers four times. <laughs> <coughs> Uh, but it's only other occurrence is in John 18 verse 30 where just at the time that Peter is denying Jesus, the Jews accused Jesus of being an evil doer. Now I would say that that's uh, an unconscious example, maybe um, <clears throat> that, that Peter, Peter's heart and mind was back there in his denials of Jesus. Uh, while he was denying Jesus they accused Jesus of being an evildoer and he must have thought that through and that that became a a key a a common word for for Peter as I say he uses it four times in his writings and it's found nowhere else apart from in, in John 18.30 when this word is used at the time that he's denying Jesus so consciously and unconsciously it was stamped upon him that this was that this was his great shame that he had sinned and yet he had been forgiven ok then you go on in chapter 2 from verse 13 to 17 uh, he says submit yourselves to every ordinance of man to governors although you are free um, but submit yourselves unto these people I think that that's alluding to that incident in Matthew 17:25 to 27, when he didn't want to pay tax, he didn't want to submit himself to the Romans, and the Lord <coughs> told him to um, submit to men and pay his taxes, and tells him to go and, uh, and catch a fish, <coughs> and uh, <coughs> take the coin out of out of the mouth and pay the taxes, both for Peter and for Jesus and so I think he's saying look you know I didn't get this I didn't want to submit to the Romans I didn't uh, want to uh, give up my my idea of freedom I didn't want to pay my taxes to those guys but Jesus taught me now you do the same Jesus washed Peter's feet and you remember that Peter didn't like that because that was the work of the servant the least of all and he didn't want Jesus to do that to him and yet afterwards he realises yes, 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 that's right Jesus is the servant and uh, that's exactly what he should have done now strangely enough Isaiah 53 is the, the sort of parade example of a passage that describes Jesus as the suffering servant um, but it's it's alluded to by Philip actually um, <clears throat> but the only person who really applies that passage to Jesus is Peter, and here in First Peter two twenty one, um, <clears throat> I, I I was well, and to the end of, of uh, twenty five there, um, you've got allusions all the way through there to Isaiah fifty three, and in fact in other places in in Peter you've got. Uh, in his uh, recorded speeches in in Acts 3 and 4 um, and throughout his letters you've got allusions all the time to Isaiah 53 (coughs) and applying it to Jesus Paul, as far as I can see never actually applies Isaiah 53 to Jesus Uh, and none of the other (coughs) uh, writers do it doesn't even seem that Jesus himself um, I was going to say that he doesn't I, I think John does um, in his commentary as it were in his gospel but um, I can't think offhand hand anyway of where Jesus applies Isaiah 53 to himself my point is that um, Peter is the one who repeatedly applies Isaiah 53 to Jesus as if he's saying yes of course Jesus was the suffering servant but it was me who didn't want to get that because when Jesus acted as a servant and washed my feet I didn't want him to do that, so then i said that uh, jesus uh, that, that peter had not only his own failings in his mind all the time but the sufferings of jesus um, <clears throat> okay he he says there in uh, um, yeah verse twenty four By whose stripes you were healed. Um, And the Greek word translated stripes there really means blue bruises, wheels, w-e-a-l-s. It's a kind of a detail that implies that Peter actually saw that. And he probably would have seen that um, when he looked at Jesus or Jesus looked at him. Um from a distance, admittedly uh, during the uh, the denials or at the end of the denials, and he he talks there in, in verse also in verse twenty four he his own self bare our sins up in his own body onto the tree, he carried them up onto the tree it it really does sound as if Peter is reflecting upon his own uh, recollection of the crucifixion that as Jesus' body was lifted up he felt that his, that's Peter's sins were being lifted up in Christ's own body onto the tree and he's the only person who seems to talk about the cross as the tree (coughs) um I guess because he had he saw Jesus carrying this piece of wood this tree, uh, and it, it sort of struck him, uh, sort of visually <coughs> and so in verse 21 he says Christ suffered for us leaving us an example and this is this word hupogramos, the underwriting the letters which the pupil was to copy out in his own hand, or the letters which the pupil was to, to to trace over. And Peter's saying that those sufferings are our example, our hupogramas, those uh, letters that we are to, 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 to copy out for ourselves in our own hand. So then the sufferings of Christ are not something that happened on a green hill far away. Uh that we look at with gratitude and think well I'm glad that he did that and well thank goodness that he did that um, because I would never have done that etc. I mean there's an element uh, of truth in that Um, of course that is all true so far as it goes but the point is that there must be a direct connection between the life uh, and sufferings of the Lord and our lives that in his sufferings we are to frame and, and, and see our own Uh, and, and so realistically we are living out his sufferings in our lives and he says that we should follow verse 21 that we should follow in his steps now John's gospel finishes John 21 verse 20 with Peter following the Lord walking behind him but he loses his focus because of his concern about John Lord what should this man do and Jesus had to remind Peter not to lose that focus, but to concentrate on the essence. What is that to you? Don't worry about what's going to happen to him. Follow me. You are to follow me. And he was walking behind Jesus. Um, and so <clears throat> we should follow his steps. Peter saying, "Well, you know, I found that so difficult." To walk behind Jesus I kept turning around and worrying about the other guy he made the same mistake in, in uh, that incident in Mark eight thirty three, where he again is walking behind Jesus and Jesus turns and says to him, to Peter that is Peter is walking behind Jesus because Jesus turns and says to him uh, get behind me Satan well <laughs> Peter was walking behind Jesus and, uh, and yet he was only doing so physically he wasn't actually realistically prepared to follow Jesus to the cross Jesus is turning around and saying to, to him Peter, you Satan, my adversary get behind me Peter could have said but I am behind you just as like well, like when Jesus says to him, "When you're converted, strengthen your brother," and he could have said, "But I am converted." So then he had found it difficult to to literally follow behind Jesus. He got distracted by, by and about John, getting caught up with his arguments with the jealousy complexes and stuff with his uh, with his brother. He didn't like the idea of being actually uh, crucified with Jesus. And so he found it difficult to follow Jesus because it meant following to death. And so now he he knows that 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 was his publicly recorded failure. The Gospel records would have probably been in circulation by the time that Peter came to write this letter. And so people would have known uh, all about Peter's denials and uh, uh, problems that had gone on with uh, Peter's weakness in different ways, etc. Everyone would have known that there was a tradition that uh, the Gospel of Mark was to be learnt off by heart by Christian converts. There's another tradition that uh, Mark actually wrote uh, the words of Peter, and that Mark's Gospel is, is really Peter's. But that's uh, that's another story. So. Peter then says in, in 2 verse 24, he his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. So he died for our sins so that we might do something, that is to put to death our our sins. So he, he sees this direct uh, transfer, this direct relationship between his death on the cross, the death of Jesus on the cross, and us doing something, and it's that uh, translation of this idea, this concept that, that Jesus died on the cross, or this visual image of him there uh, that, that Peter had seen, uh, trans- translating this into something practical—that I therefore died to sin, that I therefore believe, that I therefore rejoice in salvation. And uh, above all, we are converted by that. In chapter 2, verse 25, it says, You were sheep going astray, but you're now returned. It's the same word translated, converted, when Jesus says, Peter, when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. And Peter says to all of us, You also need to be converted to the shepherd and bishop of your souls. So then, <clears throat> he's saying that what he had gone for is indeed a pattern for us. Now, he, he says, that just going back here in the chapter, chapter 2, verse 6, he says that whoever believes in Jesus will not be ashamed or will not be... Uh, confounded the AV says will not be put to shame the RV says well if there was anyone who would have suffered with the temptation of feeling ashamed it was Peter (coughs) Uh, he publicly denied the Lord (coughs) he'd um, brought shame upon the whole Christian cause and unless he had dealt with that I I believe it would have been a, a psychological impossibility For him to have stood up in front of mass audiences of many thousands and preached so powerfully that he converted and baptized out of those huge audiences thousands in a day. Became the leader of the early church, lived a life of preaching, pastoral care and writing these kind of letters that we're reading. I think it would have been impossible for him to do those things, psychologically impossible, if he still felt guilt and shame over his, his failure. I think he really believed to such a point that, as he says here, if you really believe in him, you will not be ashamed. Uh, And uh, Paul has the same idea in Romans 5 verse 5. He says that our hope makes us unashamed. If we really believe that we are going to live forever, not because we're any good, but because we've been counted as if we're righteous, because it's been counted and imputed to us, then we shall be unashamed in that day. And if we're going to be unashamed in that day, we are unashamed in this day, as we wait for that hope to be realised. Jude says that in that wonderful day, <coughs> we shall be uh, Spotless in the in the eyes of, of Jesus, and Paul has the same idea that he says that we, that to the Ephesians, that we will in that day be <coughs> be blameless before Him. Jude, uh, just a quote of Jude twenty four, <coughs> that we will be presented faultless before the presence of His glory, without blemish, in exceeding joy. How can you and I be presented without blemish? It's only, of course, because His righteousness is counter to us. Now, if we are going to be unashamed in that day, then we should be unashamed in that sense now. And he who believes in in Him or into Him, on Him, into Him, who's covered with His righteousness will not be ashamed in this life. And uh, as I say, I think Peter himself is the, uh, the parade example, really, of someone so believing in forgiveness that they were not at all ashamed. <clears throat> and uh, he says in, in verse 22 that the Lord Jesus was the one in whom there is no guile. There was no guile found in his mouth. But actually, he's quoting there from uh, Psalm 32, verse 2. I'm so sorry. (coughs) He's quoting there from Psalm 32, verse 2, which is, After his sin with Bathsheba, and David says, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose mouth there is no guile. Well, <clears throat> David there is talking about himself. It's a kind of soliloquy. that When he says, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, he's talking about himself. This is after he's reflecting upon the fact that he should have died... He committed sin, he committed adultery, he committed murder. He should have been put to death, but by grace he had been saved. And the only way he could be saved, he realized, was because God had counted him righteous. And so he says that he feels that there was no guile even in his own mouth. Not of course that that was true, um, in a factual sort of sense, but because the righteousness of God had been counted to him. Revelation 14 verse 5 We're told that no guile Will be found in our mouths At the day of judgment Well how can that be That there shall be no guile found in our mouths There's guile in the mouth of every single one of us It certainly has been at some point in our lives In what sense is there no guile found in our mouths It's exactly the very words about Jesus That there was no guile found in his mouth so that is really imputed to us all that was true of jesus becomes true of us and is true of us and shall be true of us and so <clears throat> you you have a, this uh, similar idea i think in in chapter 1 of peter chapter 1 verse 7 where he says that our faith in this life is is being tested uh, look, it's being put through a fire it's like gold being refined in the fire but it might be found unto praise and glory and honour at the appearing of Jesus uh, where is this praise, glory and honour going, going to come from? who is going to give us praise, glory and honour when Jesus comes back? because of our faith that's passed through the fire well I think it's Jesus that he is the one who is going to congratulate us, as it were. Romans 2.29 your <clears throat> a similar idea. Then shall every man have praise of God. God praising us? It seems like impossible. But you've got it there in the parable in Matthew 25. where Jesus is going to go through the good works of his people and say, Well, done, when I was hungry, you fed me thirsty, you in prison you came and saw me etc and they're going to say but when did we do that oh no no you did so that is I think <coughs> in a parabolic kind of sense um, an example of this of God through Jesus at the day of judgment praising his people praising us and no wonder we shall be embarrassed and say no no that wasn't this, wasn't like that Is of course a pretty, uh, a pretty convicted person who argues with Jesus at the day of judgment. It really is. Um, And most people are going to say, we're going to say, no. When did I do that? But we're going to be praised by God. Now, you know, we, with all our moral weakness and failure, and. fighting the flu as I'm doing, and uh, feeling physically weak as, as we do, and spiritually weak, and who am I, etc. <laughs> may may think that, um, yeah, you know, how can this be? That one day, this should happen. But I think this is really uh, what love is. It is a seeing of the the other uh, so positively, uh, because that's how you wish to see them, because you impute uh, positive things to them. And when we come to the love of God, uh, he does this in a, in a far more profound way, that he, in his love, uh, counts the righteousness of his Son, the character of his Son, to us. And this is why we shall be presented, and that's uh, I think the important word there in Jude 24, we shall be presented faultless. Um, Not that we are faultless, we shall be blameless, Paul says to the Ephesians, in his sight, in his opinion, which is of course the only opinion that ultimately counts. So then why is Peter of all people uh, raising this theme directly and indirectly about imputed righteousness? Well, because he, like David, had come to the same conclusion. Who am I? I denied Jesus. But no, he forgave me. On what basis did he forgive me? He counted me as righteous. And so, he obviously thought, well, what can I do? And the Lord had said, when you're converted, strengthen your brethren and so he strengthens his Jewish brethren by teaching the gospel to them and now we're reading his letters here and he's strengthening his brethren um, <clears throat> by by writing to them in the way that he does now the, the same call goes out to you and me to strengthen our brethren but that is really what our life in Christ is all about that is our response to personal experience of forgiveness to realising that we are loved by God that we are counted as if we are righteous, that we shall stand blameless and faultless before him, before the presence of his glory, before the presence of his ultimate righteousness. We shall stand there faultless. And we believe that that is how it shall be, and even in this life it is even the case. So what's our response to that? Well, I don't think our response to that is to go down the pub and and, and blow it all or whatever, or just turn a telly on and watch a telly for two hours straight no we will naturally respond by wanting to do something for others and this is exactly what the Lord Jesus had in mind when he says to Peter when you're converted strengthen your brethren or as he put it another way by the charcoal fire feed my sheep I'm sorry again for the being so sick